Welcome to Asbury Pod. This is part two of our conversation with the fascinating Reverend David Perriott Jr. And we're picking up the conversation here right where we left off last week. Hope you enjoy it. The matters addressed in this podcast represent my own personal views and opinions concerning issues affecting the citizens of Asbury Park in my capacity as the deputy mayor of the city of Asbury Park. They do not necessarily represent the official position of the city or the official position of the Asbury Park City Council as a whole. I am developing and implementing this podcast in an effort to keep citizens informed. However, this is not an official City of Asbury Park podcast and does not, and I repeat, does not represent the official position of the city or the governing body. Their interviews always hit the mark, so subscribe to Asbury Park. I mean, pod. Be informed, don't be in the dark. Everybody listen to Asbury Park. I mean, pod. Everything you need to know. Brought to you by Amy and Joe. If you're local, they're the pod for you. for the police department during the riots, Reverend Perio? Uh, I was. Uh, one day, you know, I worked at that, that, that uh, four, 10 o'clock at night to 4 in the morning shift for quite a while. Then they let me have a car and worked and put me on midnight to 8. Uh, and then after a while, uh, they put me on the four to twelve shift for four years, and one day, the uh, deputy chief called me in and told me that uh, on Monday uh, you come in at four o'clock. You're gonna be a juvenile officer, and I said, "What am I supposed to do?" He said, do what you've been doing. You parked a police car, you've been shooting basketball in uniform, shooting pool <laughs> with the kids. So, so you know what to do. Uh, and uh, I'd have to go back to tell you what year that was, but uh, I was a juvenile officer for five or seven years before the uh, the riots uh, came, and when when the, when that happened in 1970, uh, in, in prior to 70, maybe 69, and that's this is in there too. Mm-hmm. They uh, as a juvenile officer. I came over to speak with the mayor and council. And the minutes to this meeting is in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, they had, had had disturbances in Freehold, Red Bank, maybe Newark, not Plainfield, or Bloomfield, one of those places. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a concern uh, from me telling them that I'm hearing these rumors and uh, that they may have something to 
to what happened in Asbury Park. So I had this meeting with Mayor and Council, uh, Bob Camber, who owned uh, Bob and Irvin's clothing store, mm-hmm. uh, Detective Davis, Lee Davis, uh, Shelley Hedgepeth, who was a guide operator at Shoe Shine Shop, uh, and a few other community people that listed us in on that meeting. And it was telling them that the uh, there was a uh, there's rumors that something's going to jump off in Asbury Park. Captain Smith at the time told him he didn't hear the same things that I heard. Uh, but in any event, uh, when it got, I guess the rumors must have got hot over there, and the next thing I know, police chief, Deputy Chief, they they retired, hmm. and mm. they appointed Tom Smith as the chief of police. Uh, Tom Smith had passed the chief's exam years before, but they didn't appoint him. And uh, during that time, the black leaders agreed with the politicians that wasn't town wasn't ready for a black police chief. But when the heat was on, this is what the, the stem that ties changed that. So uh, Tom Smith got in touch with uh, uh, a firm called a Community Confrontations and whatever uh, company, with Dr. Irving Goldhaber. And we met, they called me in and said, I'd be the liaison from the police department with this group uh, because I knew people. Uh, I knew the black leaders. I knew the business people, the presidents of the banks and things like that. But anyway, that started that. And then we had... uh, uh, the riots had come, and uh, they wanted to do what we were going to do from here on in. So we established a police community relations unit, the chief did, and uh, appointed me uh, as the head of that. And how did you and, hear about the very beginnings of the riot? When we ha- I mentioned we had Ellen Carroll on. Yeah. And she was working up at the boardwalk yeah. doing something. And the way she sort of describes it is that uh is that uh um you didn't up at the waterfront you had no idea these riots were taking place over on Springwood Ave. Does that ring true to you? No. Okay. <laughs> okay. What what what, uh, what happened uh, and I say you're gonna hear a lot of different stories sure, as sure. to how as to how the things happened. But there was a a uh, uh, a show down at the convention hall that night, and uh, there was a party at the West Side Community Center. Both turned out at about the same time. 
the police reports well, there were large crowds of people coming from the boardwalk, uh, blacks and whites, uh, and there was a crowd that left the West Side Community Center coming out on the Springwood Avenue. The whites came through, because that was the car to Springwood Avenue. It's Lake Avenue, and it changes to Springwood Avenue. It goes on up to 35. And the the, uh, the rowdy crowd, so far, happy crowd or whatever it was, whites coming down Springwood Avenue, the blacks coming out, they were happy. They start throwing and calling names to each other. They start throwing bottles and bricks and cussing and carrying on. And that's when I was awakened uh, to come out because my kids were acting up. And uh, what, I mean, you say not yours personally, but the the juvenile. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they all they all over my kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I raised a lot of a, a lot of them, a lot of them. Mm. So I. I got up, I don't forget what time that was, 11 or 12 o'clock or whatever. But I got up and went out and I was rounding up my kids, these kids, and tell them, look, you get home. I took them home. Uh, and uh, a few, few windows got broken, a lot of glass in the streets, bottles. And... Uh, Came up, came up back home, and then the, I got a call the next day, next evening. Are your kids out here again? But that's when things really erupted. I don't know what July 4th, uh, what date it was right now. Uh, again, that's in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the riots started. The... Uh, I was not in uniform. They started having fires, bottles being thrown, uh, fires started. They started uh, breaking into stores, and I happened to be right out there in the middle of the street. The Police department, because I think we had radios back then, yeah. We had radios. And they called, yeah, we had radios, car radios, I know. And uh, we would call the headquarters to get equipment, riot gear. Mm-hmm. We didn't have any. Nobody was uh, equipped for what was happening. They gave us. Uh, some batons, yay long, mm-hmm. not your regular night sticks, were like this, and a helmet. And, <laughs> and that was all we started out with. Uh, and then the, and the uh, mayor told the chief of police to call out the Call the state police, call the county, call whoever you can call. So they start calling every department in the, in the area. Other towns, I said, like Red Bank and Freehold, they had had, they had, had their opening shots at this. Mm-hmm. And so they flooded the town. 
The lights got turned off, the power got turned off on Springwood Avenue, and the smoke was billowing, billowing all over the place. And my wife and my kids, my wife was scared. She I went over to Monroe Towers where my sister-in-law was staying and took her kids with her, her two sons uh, the first night that this started. And Because uh, you were living in this house at that time. I was living in this house. Right, so this is happening just down the block? Yep, just down yeah. the block, 300 oh. feet away. Yeah. Smoke was coming in this in this area, in this house. Mm-hmm. My wife says, I'm, I'm not going to run from coming back to the house. It was, I don't think I slept in this house three nights mm-hmm. during the riots. I was out on the street in the middle of the blocks when it was black, pitch black. You couldn't see me. And uh, people bumped up into me carrying goods, mm-hmm. furniture, refrigerated chairs, bottles, I guess, when they're broken into the liquor stores and things, uh, meat. You know, was, I made a number of arrests. I came, mm-hmm. sit on my porch, and were making arrests. Because this was a an alleyway mm-hmm. where this driveway is, it's right there. Yeah. That that was called McKinley Place, and it ran from Atkins up to uh, yeah, Ridge? three blocks. Mm-hmm. It didn't go all the way to Ridge, but mm-hmm. yeah, Elizabeth Street. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would sit out here and catch the guys carrying the stolen property here, and I call for backup. You could hear, I got some tapes that you can hear some of those uh, those calls. I just played them for somebody. Anyhow, that uh, last three days, I didn't sleep mm-hmm. in this house. I nodded out there on the street. I had a, uh, an unmarked police car, and I had a German Shepherd dog to keep them from bothering me. Mm. But... Uh, uh, State police came in, police departments, Middletown, Belmar, uh, uh, neighboring communities within 12 mile or better radius. Uh, and there was more devastation that took place then because of the way the police were reacting to pepper spray and I got pepper sprayed. I got sprayed with uh, uh, the rubber bullets because mm-hmm. they couldn't see me and didn't know me and not in uniform anyway mm-hmm. on Springwood Avenue. I had uh, read that, I had read that when the state police arrived it, uh, it, it made things worse. Is that true? Yes, absolutely oh. true. I got arrest sheets of everybody that was arrested by the police on Springfield. They came, the police came, and when they turned, they were turning the lights out. They would run a caravan of about six police cars down Springfield Avenue to high speed. 
the, the police uh, broke windows. Hmm. They intimidated the people. Uh, we got uh, uh, the folk here had gotten up to Memorial Drive at the, and uh, the police had formed a barricade there to keep from going across mm-hmm. Springwood uh, uh, Memorial Tracks, the railroad tracks. They had gotten, some of the folks had gotten over across the tracks over to uh, almost Bond Street when they were repelled is the word, I guess. But they were pushed back over across the railroad tracks by the uh, state police and I I guess the National Guard or whoever else uh, was out there. I don't remember all of that. But a couple of windows got broken. Then they had, we had a fire there at uh, uh, a furniture warehouse, a furniture store on the corner of Lake and Maine. I think they broke a window at Bob and Irvin's. Uh, that would have been the third night that the, the, those fires happened. Now, there were uh, black stores that were broken into and looted and busted, and some of those uh, black store owners uh, told me it wasn't the rioters that broke my window. So the police mm-hmm. did that. They threw trash cans through the windows, et cetera. But uh, uh, when some of those arrests were happening, uh, and I came to headquarters, they brought kids in. I say kids; they weren't kids. It was young adults in handcuffs and on their hands and ankles, and they were smacking them and kicking them. And uh, when I I said, hey, "What you doing that for?" And they wanted to know who I who I was, the state troopers, and uh, I stayed in headquarters for a little while. And they would bring, if somebody came in bloody, they clean them up and let me see them before uh, they took them over to the city yard or wherever they took them to Freehold. Uh, and the the, pe- the people being arrested. Um were they local? Were they just Asbury people, or there are people from other people from other? Uh huh. They weren't just Asbury people. I, I can show you the, the list, and you can see where they're from. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, and some of, I think, there one or two from Philadelphia, hmm. but uh, for the most part, they within a 20, 30 mile radius. Mm-hmm. A few from Newark. But as uh, uh, I let you look at that sheet, you know, mm-hmm. I find it. You can see who, who was arrested and who who was uh, not. And what was the atmosphere like after in the police department after the riots? I guess we were very disappointed that the way that. Uh, I was disappointed the way a lot of my, uh, I call them relatives and friends that uh, I grew up with had uh, acted, but I was also 
concerned about the way they had been treated. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had some disagreements with some of the council people, and they said, well, you started this riot. You started these riots uh, from that me telling them at that meeting the year, almost a year before, mm-hmm. things broke. Uh, and and uh, they spread that around. Parriot started to rise. So you started it? Yeah. Just by mentioning it? Just by mentioning it at the council meetings and because I was trying to they, – uh, they didn't have the kind of recreation – that they should have had for kids to have, like the outlet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that was one of the councilmen's prime complaints about me because I shouldn't have been over there asking about it. And, and what they did do after with the fact, mm-hmm. I was able to get basketballs, footballs, mm-hmm. baseball, balls, bats, gloves, and across the street here with uh, uh, I had uh, a play. Uh, Urban Renewal began to tear down buildings, mm-hmm. etc. You know, the the kindling for riots and civil disorders is brought about by the lack of jobs, poor housing, crowded housing. Uh, and, and, and the lack of outlets for people in the area of recreation and social activities that were uh, controlled and and, and uh, being brought out in your, in your communities, you didn't have that kind of relationship. Things things change the culture. Uh, of the people in the area uh, had changed, and uh, uh, but mainly, as I said, the poor housing, crowded housing, and the lack of employment. When uh, the people on the, the uh, those who had the businesses on the boardwalk began hiring their nieces and nephews who had grown up to be able to work down there, and they took away the jobs that a lot of the uh, uh, young people, blacks uh, and whites for that matter, had on on the boardwalk, and so they had those no more. Uh, Many of the hotels on the boardwalk were closing and started housing uh, uh, people from that were being released from uh, the mental institutions and mm-hmm. they were being housed, houses, the hotels being transferred uh, into places for uh, them to to uh, live instead of getting put out of Marlboro State Hospital, Turner mm-hmm. and communities like Asbury Park, Ocean Grove, and other areas. But uh, that's what brought on. Uh, on, on these rides and, mm. and, and any any of this juvenile and young adult activities, I, I look at it all stemming from the home. 
You teach children the right values, and if you have respect in the homes, and the kids would leave home with that kind of respect and respecting themselves, you wouldn't have this kind of thing. But even today, the kids are being raised by themselves, or many of them in the homes of the grandparents because of the activities that came about because of the the culture and but and the, the drugs being utilized and, uh, so predominantly now. That's one of the things that uh, uh, happened sort of in the late in the sixty late sixties and early seventies. They began the psychedelic thing. Uh, trying to remember the guy's name to come out with that that drug. Ken Kesey. Uh, who? Not Ken Kesey. Um, no, I can think his name. Uh, the guy from uh, Harvard. Yeah. yeah. Anyhow, that, that all of that began to, to permeate the these young people, and then I say they didn't have the jobs or anything to to, to do in the activity that was. Uh, uh, but it, what was that thing they had up there in the park? Um, oh, in Central Park? That wasn't the Central Park. Uh, that's all right. Yeah, uh, that's okay, Rich. No, I can't think of the that's all right. that. You're, you know, uh, you're, you're going to think wood, of it as wood, soon as we no, leave. No, no, Wood Woodstock. Those oh, places, yeah, 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 yeah. that stuff kind of uh, began to develop in here. Right. Uh, 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 and that said, that psychedelic doctor you're talking about. Tim- Timothy think. Leary. Yeah, yeah, there we go. It took, me a, while, it took me a while to figure that out. Well <laughs> yeah. oh, all of that, and, and they said these kids began to use this stuff, and a lot of them lost their jobs because of the utilizing it. So, so you're not the first person we've talked to to sort of mention sort of a cultural change. Like so, the old school Asbury, you when when the riots came, the old school Asbury didn't recognize this as as something that they had that was a part of their community. It felt it felt like was it, com- it kept, felt like it came from outside. Or right. Else, you know. Yeah. So Reverend Perry, at the the late seventies, eighties, um, in a Asbury, certainly Springwood Ave doesn't come back, right? It, it's sort of not, it's not the, at all. No, no. And and what is it like? What is the? What's it like for you? And what's it like having to police an area, and seeing it not come back the way it had been? Very discouraging, upsetting, uh, and. The fact that knowing that I can't do anything about it, yeah, people, uh, what's been developed on on in, in uh, on the west. You know, when I, I grew up here when we had dirt streets, yeah, <laughs> and they later came and they sprinkled water in the summer to keep the dust down, and then later on they begin to sprinkle some tar down. And some stone, and then they were around and they uh, put the start with the blacktop. First blacktop that we had over here was on Prospect Avenue, 
and we had a busy time. Kids made toys. I made uh, scooters, take a pair of skates, and uh, <laughs> I give one to my brother, and I take one. We put a two by four and, and nail it. To skate the front and the back onto that, put a stick on there, and that's what we we used. We played games called Ring Alivio. We played huh. uh, Mumble Pay. We were uh, ice picks and things. It, it was games, and and you had that kind of neighborhood kind of thing. You don't have that anymore. Mm. Uh, on 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 Madison Avenue, there was a dairy across the street from my house. I could go across the street and get milk and bread and butter. Mm. Uh, you don't have that kind of neighborhood. Uh, the 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 mom and pop stores were not. Uh, the culture of them have changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was done by families who lived in the, in the neighborhood. Uh, we knew each other. Uh, the Jewish families that lived in my block. Uh, when it came to the, the Friday night, Saturday, and when they couldn't turn the gas and things on, they'd give me a quarter or a nickel or something to dime to turn the, the, the gas on. We had the synagogue was there at the corner of Lankford Street and, and uh, Cookman Avenue. We had a, a funeral home at the corner of Bangs and Lankford Street. Uh, and, and, and it was... A neighborhood, everybody knew. You didn't lock your doors. Now you got not only lock them, you got to put some chains on them. You need security systems and uh, all of those kind of things. You, you had the groceries that were being delivered in the neighborhood. A guy drive through with a truck. You could get to buy your groceries off the side of the truck or the back of the truck, the fish. A man would come by and holler, and you come out and you buy your fish and whatever you need was right in, you know, mm-hmm. in in the neighborhood. That's long gone. You don't have that stuff. Yeah, my neighbors uh, would come over and buy sugar or uh, milk or bread or whatever you had. You shared it with each other. You can't do that. You don't do that. I do it. In, in, in a lot of respects, because that's the way I was brought up. Mm-hmm. But these kids today, these young people today, they, they came up with a different era. Mm-hmm. They came up with a different era. So that's that's the, the our, our biggest problem is these kinds of things, and it stems from the home. Mm-hmm. Stems from the home. Well, I think we've had multiple guests mention sort of a breaking of the sense of community that used to right. hold sway, you know, and that after the riots, like, you know, in urban renewal, which is renewal, which results in just things being bulldozed and not rebuilt. Right. And just disappeared. Right. You know, and that left us, leaves a scar. I mean, we're 2023 20, now, and the the only now is reinvestment coming to this, you know, this corridor here. And not, they, they, the only reinvestment we're having over here is some few housing. Yeah. yeah. There's no commercial. Right, no commercial. You still yeah. got the, the folks over on this side have to get a taxi or try to walk uh, uh, to get to a grocery store, mm-hmm. uh, to get to a laundromat, uh, to get to a pharmacy. 
we had two pharmacies on on, on uh, you'll see that on the on, on Springwood Avenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you 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 had a five and ten cent store on Springwood Avenue. You didn't have to go across the, mm-hmm. the tracks back in those days, and. I happened to serve on the housing authority as its president, chairman, I mean. I was president of the New Jersey Housing Redevelopment Agency for the state. Mm-hmm. But getting money into some of these towns, you couldn't get it. Yeah. And you're not getting it now. Where's the investment coming from? Right. You're not getting it. If I got money or somebody has money, do they want to put it in the area where they're not going to get a return for their money? No. Yeah. That's what's happening with Springwood Avenue right now. We got development plans that we plan, the city council plan, and plan, and plan. But where's the money coming from? Right. City councilmen can't take it out of their pocket. The money's not in, in the, the city budget to, to rebuild. Or they, you got these res, uh, residents, they got empty building empty space mm. where they were supposed to put storefront. Mm. They got it. Don't have any. They don't have it. It's not coming. You see the, all the housing being constructed on the east side of town? Yeah. You got these over here. Here the houses on Spring Ranch. $600,000. Right. Where are you going to get somebody over here that kind of money? Yeah, I know. Uh, uh, in my area here, most of these houses are absentee landlord owner, uh, mm-hmm. landlord owners, and you look at the the the, the trend of the population over here mm-hmm. has changed. Yeah. Uh, I don't have no problem with my neighbors. They act right, do right, mm-hmm. uh, but the, the the there's no money coming in to this this area. A lot of handouts, mm-hmm. but that's not not gonna make the change. That's not an investment. No, so, absolutely know. not. To build a house around the corner here, six hundred ninety nine thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. And I went by there and checked the look of the, the guy. There's no windows on the north side of the house. Mm-hmm. He got to look across the street at the back of, the, of a junkyard. Yeah. Uh, I don't know when or how. Uh, I, I don't have the money. And I don't know of any of my friends who want to make the investment. Yeah on Springwood Avenue right now to build a neighborhood grocery store. Mm-hmm. We had grocery, we had A&P, uh, Acme, on Springwood Avenue. Mm-hmm. We had a hotel right there across the street from a senior citizen uh, for a long time. Yeah, you name it, we had it. But because of the civil disturbance, it knocked it all out. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in, in a sense, uh, uh, we did it to ourselves in the sense that we, the buildings were de- uh, decimated there. Mm-hmm. But who's to bring it back? Yeah, we don't. Have, we don't have that. We don't have any 
black investors, mm-hmm. entrepreneurs who uh, got the funds or the backing mm-hmm. to uh, establish anything uh, on Springwood Avenue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, you mentioned something. Um, you know, in addition to be police officer, were well, you were a council member also? Yeah. Right. So you had a political career, um, and uh, a long time in in Asbury. And also, um, I wanted to ask, when did you become um, a reverend? When did you decide that you know there was a calling? In addition to being who you are as a citizen, you're like I need also to uh, well, you know, be, join see. the clergy. Uh. Both of my sons, my oldest son went into the ministry, uh, and my youngest son was stationed out at Vandenberg Air Force Base in California. and called me up one early one morning to tell me that he uh, had a calling. Mm-hmm. And I said, what do you mean, Reverly? (laughs) (laughs) No. So anyhow, I said to myself, I'm going to support both of y'all. Yeah. (laughs) But in supporting them, I got the calling. Mm -hmm. And I went into ministry in 19... Uh, 89, I think, 89, or whatever year it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, it, it was a movement. It was a feeling that I just had. And so I went away uh, in the AME Zion Church. Mm-hmm. I was uh AME Zion night for 62 years. Mm-hmm. And I went to their schools and their t- teachings, and then... I went to school in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, mm-hmm. and earned my bachelor's in theology, master's degree, and and in in the AME Zion Church, I went from three phases called the deacons, mm-hmm. the elder, and. Then my pastorship. And yeah. I pastored three churches. Yeah. And. Uh, Here in Asbury? Uh, no. No. Well, in Asbury, I was assistant uh, pastor at St. Stephen AME Zion Church. Okay. Yeah. I went to Long Branch and tried to establish a church. They sent me to uh, Berkeley Township, South Tom's River. Right. Uh, where I passed a church there for three years. And then they wanted to send me to New Gretna, mm-hmm. in, uh, South Jersey, 55 miles from here. Yeah. And that's when I told them I, I wasn't going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when, you, when you're under a bishop and they control you, your movements, yeah, and, and they tell you you do this, do that. Well, I wasn't about to do that, <laughs> uh, and that's when uh, I, I uh, resigned from the AME Zion 
a connection and went over to Good Samaritan Bright Star Church. Okay. In, mm-hmm. in, in uh, 1999. Uh-huh. And so I've been there uh, ever since. I pastored that church for five years uh, before I decided that uh, pastoring, uh, uh, I'm getting, I want to move out the way and let some younger mm-hmm. ones come in. So, yeah. Uh, I, I got to ask you before we wrap up, Reverend, a, okay. a little bit about being on the city council, only because I can relate. As you can hear, the Reverend had a phone call right at that moment, so we had to cut a little bit of this out. What uh, what made you decide to seek office? And, and if you don't mind, I'd love to hear a little <laughs> bit about elections during that time, because I've lived through a number of elections, Reverend Perriott. Well, that, that was another thing, because of my... Uh, feel is that uh, they needed some input from the community. And uh, I said to myself that the leadership, the way they, they weren't addressing what the community needed, I thought that I had access to that. And that's when uh, I got together uh, with uh, Henrietta Zachary, and uh, what was the boy's name? Uh, anyway, I had been, and then someone asked me, why you could, because I was ready to retire from the police department. They told, they passed the law that after 25 years, you could retire instead of age. Mm-hmm. And so that's when that made my decision that, that uh, I would retire and do that. I was asked to stay. The city manager asked me, no, you don't want to do that. You know, we're going to promote you. We're going to do this. I said, no, that's all right. I've got 25 years. i got 26 years, 27 years, 29 years. I'm leaving. Yeah. Uh, but I thought that uh, I could best serve my city and my town and my community if I uh, ran for city council in the first year that I ran. And, and what year, ten. Reverend Perry, what year was this? 80, I retired in 85, so I, whatever year that, that mm. the 85, 86, uh, and I lost by three votes <laughs> first time. Amy, how many did you lose by your first I, time? I lost, yeah, yeah, eight? I had the same, and it eats at you, Reverend Perriott, <laughs> because you know, you know, you know the people who didn't vote, who told you they voted. And then, and then in the second year, I did it because the three votes were next door. Of course. The guys they're were always sit- next door. <laughs> the guy <laughs> the guys were sitting over there playing pinochle. They said, Man, we thought you were winning by last slide. We we'll be there. you run again, I'll be out there. And they were So I went to Georgie's bar after I lost and they're all like, We thought you had it in the bag, Amy, so we didn't go vote. And right. Like, Thank yeah, you. Thanks but a lot. It, 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 the next year they showed up. They uh-huh. stayed they said, We ain't playing a pinochle this that and because uh, uh, that was another funny thing too, because I uh, I was a high vote getter when the polls closed, mm-hmm. and then the, uh, 
politicians, politics, however that works the next morning when everybody woke up and it was uh, checking on the votes and uh, somebody put the wrong figures down, you know, anyhow. But I was on the council myself, Henrietta Zachary, Sharon Harris, Thomas Smith, and uh, Vincent Riffesey. Uh, I went on it. Uh, but at the time that I served, I thought I, was, I did the best I could to try to make improvements, uh, bring back, because they had taken down the sign of Springwood Avenue and changed it to Lake Avenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and the reason why it was named Lake Avenue in the beginning is because there was a lake that came down Springwood Avenue, uh-huh. and it's still there. It's under some of those buildings, and you can see the 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 uh, the culvert or the mm-hmm. tunnel or whatever it is. It runs coming down from Ridge, cuts behind those houses, uh, and crosses DeWitt and Borden Avenue, and goes out to uh, uh, Boston Way, hmm. and uh, and the. The city of Asbury Park and Neptune shared this culvert that took this water out to Wesley Lake. Mm-hmm. And later on, when the how when I was on chairman of the housing authority, the Neptunes they wanted to build their own culvert, and they did, uh, which is just south of uh, Boston Way. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, uh, so we we utilize that separate. Asbury Park uses that separately, and Neptune has her own. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how long were you on the council, Reverend Perriot? Four years. Yeah, yeah that was enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I've never been on the council, but you know, knowing Amy and uh, I could you, see how that's enough, Reverend Perriot. Well, I could see. Well, you're always visible when you're on the council, and everyone, you know, you can't go anywhere, you know, without someone telling you what they think, right? And you also, in yourself, like I'm driving here. What did I take? I think I took. I think I took Ridge, and I'm like, look at all these potholes. Making notes where these potholes are, so I can send it to the city tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, I did that, and we tried to make a few changes there. Well, that reminds me, Amy, the, the the traffic light on the corner by your house. Is I out. know. I sent an email. <laughs> I noticed that last night. I meant to tell you this morning. Yeah. Well, and the weird thing is, it's only the green. It's only the green. It's only the green. I sent an email this morning. I saw it. Um, Reverend Perriot, thank you so much for yeah, spending time. We've taken time. up too much. Of we've your time. taken up a lot of your time. We're probably going to split this into two listeners. So I think two uh, episodes. You're yeah. probably now listening to part two. Um, yeah. Yep. Before we go, anything. Uh, any any parting thoughts or that you were thinking about? You know, I'm, I'm always parting, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I just somehow, some way, and maybe not in my time, that Springwood Avenue. Uh, I'm very n- uh, nostalgic about seeing it come back. Mm-hmm. But I know it's not going to can't come back the way that it was, but I certainly would like to see 
some commercial for mm-hmm. particularly for uh, the folk that live on this in the southwest quadrant in particular mm-hmm. to be able to walk yeah to a laundromat to be able to walk to a pharmacy to be able to walk there there's some places within some walking distance for some but not for see, for seniors yeah, yeah. They, they walk and one of the things I think I uh, I, I don't know whether I accomplished or helped. Uh, we used to have the bus route through here, and it was reestablished because after the rise, the bus rerouted itself, mm-hmm. and now it comes down Springwood Avenue. Last year or two, here. right? I think we did last yeah. couple of years. Yeah, yeah. And so that that came back. So those are the things that just like to see the neighborhood come back to what it. Yeah, some simple. Uh, some, uh, some sense of what it used to it used to be, and but I said the drug problem. You see what happened to my fence out there. Yeah, uh, a drunk, a drugged driver. Yeah, turned in here and ran over my fence. Yeah, but uh, and then across the streets, you know, the building, the day, new uh, daycare center, the interfaith neighbors. Yeah, building. Uh, Take care. Well, um, we want to thank you for your time and for the story. This is the longest episode we've recorded. We, you know, when we said we want to keep it forty-five minutes, but I know a, we so got much ri- we were riveted, <laughs> Reverend Perriot, so. and lost track of time. So, well, thank but you. we'll cut it up. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, and we'll let you know when we're ready to, uh, okay. to post it. So I appreciate it.